happy Good Friday. So today I am going to be meditating on the story in Genesis 22 of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac, or near sacrifice of Isaac, uh, because it is a type of Christ. So here's the story first. This is found in Genesis 22 verses 1 to 19. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here, I'm, here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire of his hand, in his hand, and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb of a, for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to a place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood on order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. When the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Okay, so this always seemed like a really strange story to me. God said in Jeremiah that child sacrifices never even entered his mind. That's in Jeremiah 19.5, and it's certainly inconsistent with God's character as depicted everywhere else in scripture. It's true that God did not intend Abraham to actually go through with it, but Abraham didn't know that. So why test Abraham in such a seemingly cruel way? I don't fully understand the answer, but I do suspect that it involves two things. The Old Testament concept of covenant involving a reciprocal exchange and the type and shadow of God's future sacrifice of his own son. The parallels between Jesus' sacrifice and this one are many. God told Abraham to perform this sacrifice on the mountain of Moriah, and David later offered a sacrifice there too in 2 Samuel 24, 17-19. And then Solomon built the temple on that very spot, making the rock at the top the Holy of Holies, which is in 2 Chronicles 3.1. Today, this is the hotly contested spot sacred to both the Arabs and the Israelites, and it's currently the site of the Dome of the Rock. Isaac was therefore a type of the sacrifice of sin, which would later be offered in that very place for the sins of Israel ultimately fulfilled for all time in Jesus. We know that Isaac was less than 37 years old at this time since Sarah died when she was 127 years old, making Isaac 37 at the time, which we're, we're told that in Genesis 23.1. 
And because of the parallels with Jesus, some scholars believe that Isaac was 33 when this event occurred, as Jesus was at the time of his death. And just as God willingly sacrificed his beloved, long-awaited only son, born of a miracle, destined to bless the whole world, so Abraham willingly offered Isaac, beloved, long-awaited, only son of the promise, Genesis 22-2, born of a miracle, through whom all the nations of the world were to be blessed, and that's Genesis 22-18. Just as Jesus carried the cross he was to die on, so Isaac carried the wood that he was to die on in Genesis 22.6. When Isaac, by now, was surely beginning to suspect, he asked Abraham where the sacrifice was. Abraham's answer was prophetic, whether he realized it or not. He didn't say God will provide the lamb. He said God will provide himself a lamb. That was uh, Genesis 22.8. Did he understand that this was a prophetic pre-enactment? We know that Abraham did not believe that Isaac would actually die and stay dead. He either expected God to provide an alternative sacrifice all along, as this statement suggests, or he believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead if need be, and we're told that in Hebrews 11:17-19. Either way, he told the servants, "We will come back to you." And that was Genesis 22:5. Not I will come back. Like Jesus was able to endure the cross because he looked past it to the joy that was set before him, and we're told that in Hebrews 12:12 12, 12, verse 2. In the same way, Abraham saw past the moment of sacrifice to the moment of God's redemption, though he didn't know in advance what form that would take. Considering Abraham was a hundred years older than Isaac, there is no way he could have overpowered Isaac in order to sacrifice him. Isaac, therefore, must have been a willing participant, laying down his life in the same way that Jesus did. Titus 2.14 is where we're told that. Like Jesus, there's also no record that Isaac said anything at all when he was led to the slaughter, and we're told that in Genesis 22.9, and we're told that of Jesus in Isaiah 53.7, and then again in Matthew 27.14. So this sacrifice was clearly a type and a shadow, one of many in the Old Testament. God, in the same way, told Hosea to marry a prostitute as a type of his own marriage to unfaithful Israel, and we see that in Hosea 1, and also told Ezekiel to lay on his side for a year as a symbol of Jerusalem's upcoming siege. We're told that in uh, Ezekiel 4. Isaiah, weirdly enough, walked around naked and barefoot for three years to symbolize the coming judgment of Egypt against Egypt and Cush, and we're told that in Isaiah 20, verse 3. So I'm sure these things got people's attention, but still, it seems pretty weird, right? So the best answer that I've been able to come up with comes from Charles Capps. I still feel like it's sort of incomplete, but... Old Testament covenants always symbolized an exchange. The two parties shared both assets and liabilities in common, and the terms of the covenant were like a legal agreement today, outlining what each party must do in order to fulfill his end. The exchange of blood and of names served as symbols for the seriousness of the agreement and the two identities merging into one. But Abraham, then Abram, was asleep when God cut the covenant with him, and we know that from Genesis 15. Thus, he did not participate as one of the two parties. God later gave Gave Abraham the sign of the covenant, which was circumcision, but still Abraham had not really done anything to validate his side of the agreement. Given the there's this heavenly courtroom drama that we see at the beginning of the book of Job, where uh, Satan comes before God and accuses Job. In that same way, it's possible that God needed Abraham, who was our covenant head, to demonstrate his willingness to offer up his only son so that God could legally offer his son on our behalf. If Abraham had not been willing, would he have failed to ratify the covenant of faith, giving Satan a legal loophole to contest the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf? So the speculation, it's the only thing 
that really kind of makes a little bit of sense to me as to why, like, I understand the prof- the prophetic reenactment piece, but otherwise it seems kind of cruel, unless there is something going on in the heavenlies that this is symbolizing, and it's giving God the ability, like, it's not just a prophetic reenactment, it's more than that. So, but regardless... Here is my retelling from the perspective of poor Abraham, who did not know what was going on. So, years passed, and Isaac grew into manhood. He was our pride and joy, and everything Sarah and I could possibly have wished for in a son, obedient, dutiful, handsome, and so very patient. I often marveled at how mild he was, particularly given his mother's fiery temper. He was the best of both of us, with his mother's good looks and common sense, and my quiet trust and confidence in the Lord." Yet while Isaac seemed content to live his life moment by moment, never fretting about what was to come, Sarah agonized over where to find him a wife. "'He's already over thirty years old,' she insisted one evening when we were alone. "'We should send a servant now.' "'The Lord has not told me to do that,' I reminded her. "'And yes, I've asked him about it, and I've continued to ask him. "'He will tell me when the time is right. "'Isaac is the promised child, Sarah. "'Obviously he will have to marry.' "'When?' Sarah demanded. "'I'm over one hundred and twenty years old, Abraham, father of nations. "'I'd like to live to see my grandchildren.' What she did not say was that Hagar, her longtime rival, already enjoyed five grandsons through Ishmael and three granddaughters as well. Sarah's animosity for her former maid had simmered after Isaac's birth, but had reignited once Ishmael had married and his wife had begun to bear children. "'Patience, my love,' I murmured, kissing the top of her head. She huffed and crossed her arms over her chest. "'He will marry. He will have children. Our descendants will be as the grains of sand and the stars in the sky, remember? Surely you cannot doubt that now.' She sniffled. At long last, she grumbled. I don't doubt it. I'm just sick of waiting. I don't see why you can't just send a servant back to Ur. Why do you have to wait for the Lord to tell you to do it? Isn't it obvious what that's what has to be done? I raised my eyebrows at her. Really? I let my question hang in the air between us. She knew exactly what I meant. The last time she'd tried to help God out, Hagar had borne Ishmael, and Sarah herself had gained a lifelong enemy. She sighed. All right, fine. But will you please at least ask him again? I nodded, squeezing her shoulder, and then went out of the tent. I spotted Isaac sitting off by himself and gazing up at the stars, as he often did. He gave me a cheerful little wave. I smiled back. Abraham! I froze, and instinctively glanced back in Isaac's direction, even though I knew the voice had not come from him. He had not turned to look at me, though. Apparently the voice was only in my head this time. Here I am, I answered the Lord, taking another tentative step away from my tents and flocks toward the wilderness. He went on, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. I stopped walking. I had heard the words, but I had to repeat them in my mind several times before I understood their meaning. Do what, Lord? He repeated the words, but did not elaborate. For a brief flash, my imagination conjured the image of my only son's bloody, lifeless body, the trail of smoke ascending to heaven. No, I said aloud, but not to the Lord, to my imagination. Instead— I did as Isaac was doing. I looked up at the stars of the sky. That was the promise. He was the promised child. I'd been through this already. The Lord had made it very clear that he would bless Ishmael for my sake, but Isaac was the one through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed, and the one through whom I would be the father of nations. Yet Isaac was not married, and he had no children yet. That meant he had to live. The Lord had just told me to kill him, but he had to live. I either wouldn't have to go through with it, or else... God would raise him from the dead, from the ashes if necessary. I didn't want to think about what my relationship with my son would be like after I'd slain him, not to mention my relationship with Sarah, but I couldn't think about that. 
My imagination tried all night long to return to the moment of slaughter. Every time I redirected it to afterwards, the moment when Isaac and I would climb down the mountain together. I did not sleep at all. The next morning, I rose before sunrise, eager to get this whole ordeal behind me. I split the wood for sacrifice, saddled my donkey, and when Isaac rose, I told him to do the same, as well as two servants I intended to take with us. I told the servants to prepare food and water for our journey, and I told Isaac to bid his mother goodbye. I could not do so. My heart was like a stone in my chest, and I knew Sarah would take one look at me and demand to know what I was hiding. Isaac surely would know something was wrong, too, but he did not pry. We rode for three days in the direction of the land of Moriah, and spoke as little as possible. I caught Isaac glancing at me with concern on more than one occasion, but it was all I could do to grit my teeth and picture the two of us coming down that mountain together. He promised, I reminded myself fiercely. God promised. God never lies. God cannot lie. I might have asked myself why God would ask something of me that seemed so far out of character for him if I had the capacity to do so, but it was as if I had tunnel vision. All my attention was focused entirely upon what I had to do, and all my energy upon clinging to God's promise that somehow, against all hope and against all reason, it would turn out the way God said it would. I had no mental space left over for questions. By the third day, I felt like all of my muscles were made of solid rock. Whenever one of the servants tried to speak to me, I either did not answer at all or I snapped my reply. At last, I looked up and saw the mountain of Moriah in the distance. I knew that was it. "'Stay here with the donkey,' I told the servants. "'The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you.' I saw Isaac watching me with a troubled expression as I took the wood I had split from the donkey's back and placed it between Isaac's shoulders instead. My hands trembled so badly that I could barely get the saddlebag open to retrieve the, the knife and the flint. Then I turned my back on Isaac, heading for the mountain with fierce determination. When we had left the servants far enough behind us, Isaac ventured at last. "'Father?' "'Yes, my son?' "'We have flint and wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering?' "'I swallowed before I answered. My mouth was so dry. "'At last I managed, son, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering.' "'I stopped walking as I listened to my own words. "'I had not meant to phrase it that way. The words simply slipped out. "'God will provide himself the lamb. "'God will provide himself the lamb.' "'Over and over the words rattled around in my mind as the mountain grew nearer.' I did not understand their significance, but I had a feeling that the words meant more than what I had consciously intended, that we would find a lamb at the right moment for the sacrifice. Isaac asked no more, and we walked on, then climbed in silence. At the pinnacle of the mountain, Isaac dropped the wood upon the ground. An inner tremor seized my body, but I breathed through it, assembling the stones for an altar. Isaac helped me, though I could not look at him any more, and he did not dare address me. When the altar was built, I painstakingly arranged the wood. I had been in such a hurry to get here and get this over with, yet now that the moment was here, I wanted to delay it as long as possible. But at last there was nothing more to do. The time had come. I had a length of rope in my pocket. I took it out, and I turned to my son. He watched me with wide, solemn eyes. We looked at each other for a very long moment, and I knew he knew. I further knew that if he resisted me, this would be impossible. He was thirty-three years old. I was one hundred and thirty-three. He could overpower me with hardly any effort at all. At last he stretched out his wrists toward me. I swallowed the lump in my throat and took a step toward him, then another. I bound his wrists together. Tears ran freely down both my cheeks as, and, and his as he climbed upon the altar, allowing me then to bind his ankles as well. When this was done, there was nothing to do but retrieve the knife. When I had clasped its hilt and, and approached my son, I could hardly see for weeping. I raised the knife over his chest. "'Abraham! Abraham!' called a voice from heaven. The knife clattered to the ground, and I fell to my knees. "'Here I am!' I gasped. 
Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I cried out and buried my face in my hands, weeping violently with pent-up relief and anguish. Father, look! Isaac managed to break through my sobs. When at last I looked up, I first saw the, heard the rustling behind me, and then turned around to see a ram with its horns caught in a thicket. I staggered to my feet, unbound Isaac's ankles and wrists, and he climbed off the altar. Then he gently took the knife from my hand, crossed to the ram, and slit its throat. Once it was dead, we untangled its horns and dragged its body to the altar. I took the flint and set fire to the offering. The Lord did provide, Isaac whispered to me over the blaze, just as you said. The clouds above parted, and we both looked up. Then the voice declared, By myself I have sworn, because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. When the Lord finished speaking, I looked at Isaac, breathless. Did you hear it too? Isaac nodded at me, eyes wide. He reached out and clasped me by the forearm, and I leaned into his shoulder. We sat like that until the ram was consumed and turned to ash, and the smoke began to trail away. At long last Isaac murmured, "'You told me before that the Lord had already promised those things to you. I was not aware that the covenant was conditional.' I shook my head. Neither was I until four days ago. I had recovered enough now that I could stand. We had brought nothing with us but the knife and the flint, as the wood had been all consumed. Isaac retrieved these for me, and together we made our way back down the mountain." "'Why, do you think?' Isaac asked at last, when we were about halfway down. "'Why was the covenant dependent upon your willingness to sacrifice me, even if he didn't mean for you to actually do it?' I shook my head. I had been mulling over this same point, but I knew that if the Lord had intended to tell me, he would have done so already. Covenants between humans were always conditional. They were, there were always terms for each party, and each side must fulfill his terms, or the covenant was null and void.' I had been asleep when the Lord had made his covenant with, uh, first covenant with me, though. In my vision, the two parties who walked between the pieces of the sacrifices were a smoking fire-plot and a flaming torch. I had an inkling, then, that God himself represented both parties. He was cutting the covenant with himself, though I didn't understand what that meant. I was unconscious, and thus a mere passive recipient. Years later, when God had told me to circumcise every man of my household, I had actually been relieved. Here, at last, was something I could do to participate. And yet, in retrospect, this was not truly participation in the covenant so much as a sign of the covenant. A covenant meant that two parties shared everything in common. What's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. We hold all of our assets and all of our liabilities in common. Yet God had all the assets. I had none that he had not first given me. I, therefore, had not, never ratified my side of the covenant. Not until today. Today it became binding. God will provide himself the Lamb. Yes, God had given me Isaac, and in that sense he had provided the lamb. He had then provided the ram as a substitute. But there was more to it than that. Father? Isaac prodded me. I shook my head. I don't know, I said slowly. I have a vague idea that you and I are reenactors on a stage, but what were we reenacting? Isaac looked at me. Or foreshadowing? His words gave me chills. So I hope that helped you to have the story come alive for you a little bit. Happy Easter, and I'll see you next week. If you're enjoying these retellings and these biblical meditations, I just wanted to let you know that I have put together all of my retellings of Jesus' miracles in a book called Messiah, Biblical Retellings. You can get it on Amazon in ebook or in paperback, and the audiobook is coming soon. Um, and it is written under my pen name, which is C.A. Gray. So I will link in the show notes to where you can go to get this if you're interested. Thanks again for listening.
Have you ever considered yourself a messenger? Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, or art to make, or perhaps businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast, which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. If you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, search and follow the Messenger Movement Podcast on your favorite podcast platform today or lifeaudio.com.